0: Hello, welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rizak. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello base campers, hope you're all doing well. Today is a Bitcoin episode. Why Bitcoin? Well, because it represents truth and freedom and is an absolute game changer for humanity, particularly when you juxtapose it next to the central bank digital currency, which represents the globalist attempt at more top-down control of humanity. And I'd like to start by reading an excerpt from an article in Bitcoin magazine. I found it in the intro to an article on Amanda Cavalleri, who's a wonderful human visionary and Bitcoiner. The article says, quote, "Bitcoin possesses a unique identity and qualities that are cemented on the foundation of decentralization. Almost everyone who is doing the work to understand Bitcoin will eventually run into the cold hard fact that at its core, Bitcoin is about freedom. To those who have enjoyed uh, individual liberties for their entire lives, the concept of freedom may be watered down or underappreciated. For those who live without it, freedom and individual liberty become pursuits of great importance, unquote. Uh And there's a Lots of news around Bitcoin with BlackRock's application for a Bitcoin ETF. Now we have Robert Kennedy Jr. coming out as a very pro Bitcoin presidential candidate and very anti central bank digital currency. This is the pro humanity, anti globalist stance we're looking for in our presidential candidates and our governors for that matter. Today's episode is with our Bitcoin friend Connor Dent, and nothing in this episode is meant to be taken as financial advice. Neither Connor nor I are certified as financial financial advisors. Think of this episode as two friends sitting around the fire, beer in hand, talking about the bright orange possibilities for humanity. Enjoy the episode. My guest today is Connor Dent. Connor is a Bitcoiner and director of client services at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a company introducing new solutions to self custody and new resources in the Bitcoin space. Here is my interview with Connor Dent. All right, I am here with Connor Dent, Bitcoiner and freedom lover. Connor Dent, Connor, welcome back to Basecamp for Men. It's good to have him on the show again. Tony thank you for having me. It's a
1: pleasure to be here
0: yeah you know uh you and I did an earlier episode on Bitcoin It's really good. People really liked it so I thought I'd have you back. I've been uh thinking a lot about you know it's Bitcoin is funny It's like its in your brain like I I find myself I don't know if you find this to be the case but like, I know it's on my mind when I get up in the middle of the night to take a piss and I'm thinking about Bitcoin. I'm like, what am I thinking about while I sleep? It's clearly Bitcoin a lot because I'm like, you know, I don't know. Does that happen to you? I'm like, it's on my brain a lot. Yeah, there's so
1: many different aspects of it, right? Yeah. It's, I think it it's rooted in in truth. And then once you get to that root, you kind of have a different lens on how to look at the world. And so everything you look at is different. And it's through that lens of truth. And being that Bitcoin, it can't be changed. Changed, It can't be controlled. It's peer to peer. It changes every aspect of your life. And I I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's a constant reminder throughout the day of a brighter future.
0: Yeah, I love it. You know, and it's that, that in some ways, like I was talking and we'll talk about like price predictions, which to me doesn't, it's one of the least interesting aspects to me. Um, but it's what people talk, you know, people that are really into investing and finance people, you know, that's what they lead with. But to me, one of the most interesting aspects is the impact on human consciousness. Like we've never had money like this. We've never had uh, something that's leading the decentralization. You know, now we have NoSter. As a decentralized, you know, you're starting to see some of the impact of the human tribe going, you know what? We don't have to have these centrally centrally controlled nodes. We don't have to have the central bank, you know, printing, printing, printing. And we don't have to have centrally controlled social media like Facebook. We can create our own, you know. I think sometimes that's some some of the most exciting aspects. And people, when they talk about Bitcoin, after you've been at it a while usually you're talking about the philosophy and the possibilities more than getting rich, right? I, I think the the getting rich thing, I think, I know some some guys that are really into the other cryptos, altcoins. And when I talk to them, they still kind of, you can see they're still trying, they have a trader's mentality. And do you think it's going to go up? And should I, you know, they're, they're trying to get rich. And I just tell them, look, it's really, that's not what it's about. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever have friends like that that are like, oh, what do you think of this altcoin? What do you think of that altcoin? But for me, Bitcoin represents uh, something that revolutionizes consciousness and how we view, you know, our structures,
1: basically. Yeah, and you're exactly right. I have, a, I do have some friends in the circle that, you know, they have the stock market mentality, right? Yeah. Look at this, these alternative crypto assets and well, what's the fastest way to get rich? It's mm-hmm. just get get-rich-quick scheme, which in reality, in any mm. aspect of life, right, anything that happens uh, instantly with no proof of work, of no energy, or, or no pain or suffering to get to the final end line, and that instant gratification, I think, from a humanitarian standpoint, that's what everyone's looking for. And I think mm. that's how people view these alternative crypto assets, is to get, get rich quick. And I think right. what Bitcoin does, to me... Right. I think it really makes you value time Mm. understand that because of the fixed supply that just through simple math you're going to aggregate more value throughout time it allows you to focus on what your purpose is right you don't have to work a nine to five dead end job paying bills as inflation rises you're able to focus on what truly makes you happy because in the background You're aggregating more value in this hard asset and you can hold the keys to it so i Mm. think it to me it's really made me conscientious of how i how i use my time
0: Mm. that's great that's a great way to put it um you know i almost hate to talk about price you know but i i i circled some of Kathy Woods, just to give the listener a background, you know, Kathy Wood is a a founder of ARK Invest, very famous investor, and she's a Bitcoiner, Um, you know, and her analysts came out with price predictions, it was maybe a year ago or so, they've updated it a little bit, but they haven't changed much. And in fact, I saw a video of her saying, no, we're more bullish than ever on Bitcoin's price. But it was uh, her team took a look at the price in 2030. So that's the seven years out. um, And they made a base price, basically an over under, and they made a bull price and a bear price. And so her over under her team was six hundred and eighty thousand a Bitcoin with the bull price. She just. Uh, it was a million and a quarter, and she just bumped it up to a million and a half as the bull. And her most bearish situation is Bitcoin at a price of two hundred fifty thousand per Bitcoin. Uh, we're sitting kind of hovering at thirty right now. Um, do those seem like, if you put, you know, I know we can't really predict, but does that does that seem in line with kind of what? maybe your circle talks about if you're just trying to wonder, huh? I wonder, cause you know, it's, it's, it's common to kind of say, where do you, how far do you think it'll go? You know, and you see some wild predictions of 10 million and, you know, I could see a lot of this, but what, what do you, what do you sense for seven years out? Does that, is she kind of got a pretty good frame on
1: that? Yeah. I think with the happenings that happen every four years, mm-hmm. I think, just through supply and demand, it's going to get twice as hard to mine for Bitcoin, which means yeah. the supply of it is going to incrementally slow down, which then will naturally bring up the demand, so price will rise. Mm. As far as putting hard numbers, uh, you know, seven years from now, I'm, I've always been under the impression that anyone that tells you the price, like yes, you can have a- analytics and you can look into it from a very macro and micro standpoint, but at the end of the day. I don't want to say it gives false hope, but I think it takes away from the actual engineering of the asset. Mm -hmm. Just because of its fixed supply, you know that it's going to aggregate more value and the price is naturally going to to rise because of that demand and because it gets incrementally harder to mine for Bitcoin. But to put hard numbers on it, I think it could be misleading. And I also think it takes away from the the actual purpose of what this technology is. I think if you go into it from a monetary standpoint where you're looking, all right, well, if I buy in now at $30,000 and it's going to be X amount in 2030, and you're looking at it from a strictly investment point of view, which is completely okay. Mm-hmm. But I think the longer you hold on to it, the more you see the humanitarian side of it, the the light at the end of the tunnel of what this asset can actually do, Mm -hmm. I think putting a price tag on it can bring people into Bitcoin for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And again, there's different walks of life, whether it's through you have very sound first principles in your life personally, and then you just naturally align with Bitcoin, or you can look at it from a financial standpoint, right? You're watching inflation rise, you're looking at your IRA or 401k, and it's literally being lit on fire and bitcoin's an opportunity to opt out of that system. So I think different avenues that people come towards bitcoin, they generally will be rooted in that freedom money and mm. they will come to that aspect, they will they will drink the water and come to that conclusion the longer they hold it.
0: Well that's that's why like I'm on some forums and that's why some people refuse, you know, they basically refuse to put any fiat number on bitcoin because they're just like I'm not mucking up bitcoin with some you know, crap fiat number. I'm saying one, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. That's what it is. You know, and I just like, yeah, there, there you go. So, um, you know, do you, do you see as we look in the future, you know, financial advisors are in a tough spot right now in a way, because they can't really talk too much about it. They can't really, you know, we have these ETFs that are being applied for by BlackRock and, and Fidelity and all these different things. So that's the sort of investment bank's way of saying, hey, we can offer these ETFs. And, and then our, our agents and our, our representatives can start to have conversations about Bitcoin. Um, but do you, do you see maybe a future where people will I advisors will be able to freely speak about self-custodying Bitcoin as part of your portfolio. Like, say my son's 16, and I said, you know, if you learn how to talk about Bitcoin and investment and and portfolio management and help people understand it and put people in the right mix, because I I think the whole 60 40 you know the old traditional it's been around for 40 or 60% you know stock market 40% bonds that's the safest thing you can do well i don't think that's quite as safe as it used to be and i think that we're heading towards where where future generations will be advising about bitcoin and and how comfortable you are with different asset allocations the way traditional financial advisors talk about stock and bonds i think that it'll be included uh, and with confidence, I think, uh, and I also think there's a lot of kind of financial advisors right now that really want to be talking about yeah. Bitcoin, but they just can't because they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their their book and all that. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, we come across a lot of financial advisors um, because you're exactly right. Legally speaking, they're not allowed to talk about Bitcoin. And yeah asked about Bitcoin, they are required to give a reference of someone who can. Yeah. So, you know, we just saw BlackRock apply for the ETF and then Bitwise, Vanek, Wisdom Tree, Fidelity, Invesco just applied for it on Tuesday and Wednesday. And the one thing I worry about, and we've seen this in the past, right, with Celsius, BlockFi, FTXs, and most recently, Prime Trust, is this idea of paper Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But yes, the the whole aspect of offering this ETF, in my mind, is so these financial advisors, they want to advise against self-custody because it's not a part of the portfolio. They can't take a percentage of the holdings that you have with them if you have self-custody, which is why an ETF will be very lucrative for these big firms. But what I worry about is paper Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? a certificate that says, here's a receipt of the Bitcoin you purchased. But how can you verify that they actually have that Bitcoin in their treasury? Yeah. And given in the past two years, we've seen these big exchanges promise, give a certificate that, hey, we have your Bitcoin, it's safe. And then when they go belly up, you find out that they were repothecating or reborrowing. Yeah. And I think the current financial system is built on that. It, it, it's a behavior that has been rooted in the last 20 years. And the beauty of Bitcoin is you can't copy it. Right, yeah. the ledger is the ledger, and it can never change. And so, I'm curious to see as these, if these ETFs get applied and they get approved, what that's going to do to the price. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's a, a door open for these big, these big corporations and investment banks to get to get into Bitcoin, which will naturally rise the price. But I'd be curious to see, in terms of holdings, how these customers who just want to put 5% of their portfolio in bitcoin because it's it's a way to to invest into a hard asset yeah. but i'd be curious to see how they're verifying and confirming that the bitcoin they're purchasing is actually on the treasury of these big these big corporations that are getting into it
0: I, I was actually not happy to see it. You know, a lot of people were like, woohoo, this is going to blow up the prize or whatever. And I was like, ah, shit, BlackRock, you know, they're going to uh, fucking throw yeah. their, they're going to swing their big dick around and fuck, like, fuck, up, fuck up
1: some of this somehow, yeah. you know. So yeah. It's the Death Star coming to Bitcoin. Yeah. I think, I think what, what comes with uh, a free monetary system and a free market, Mm-hmm. Is this is inevitably going to happen. And so I'm not necessarily against it. I still think we are still very early, not in the sense of adoption, but in the sense that a lot of people are going to trip and fall. Yeah. A lot of a, a lot of these corporations are going to invest it in, are going to treat it like a traditional asset that they're used to lending out and, and rehypothecating and promising X, Y, and Z but when they realize the hard facts that bitcoin is what it is and can't be changed we're going to see a lot of people trip and fall over that and i think that's natural and i think that's a good thing for bitcoin overall yeah. because it enforces education and it forces people to understand exactly what's happening in the background because there's no lying and there's no hiding from it
0: well and and in this particular case with the etf and these big firms you know applying and and we presume they're probably going to get it you know um you have the cat's already out of the bag in terms of self-custody, like Bitcoiners have been talking to their brothers and sisters and friends about self-custody, self-custody. So, you know, the Bitcoin community is spreading the word that self-custody is the way to go. Don't buy the ETF, you know? And it's almost like, you know, uh, if that wasn't common knowledge, then I could see something like BlackRock, you know, You know, trying to spin it like a gold ETF rather than having gold in your safe, you know, like, oh, this is, we're hooking this to the price of Bitcoin. It's just as good. Uh, You don't need to self custody. That's a big headache, you know? And it's just like, then you have this parallel inputs from the Bitcoin community saying, no, it's really not that big of a headache. It's actually just a few steps you need to learn. And anybody that's doing it can teach you. So I I just don't know if they're going to be able to kind of i maybe deceive isn't the word but you know what i'm saying like re, rehypothecate in a way some people will fall, probably fall for it cuz they don't want to deal with with learning how to how to hold their private keys but i i don't know if i don't know if they're going to be able to get a big big thing on the bandwagon with that we'll see um
1: yeah i think it's for your your everyday older retired investor the boomers if you will yeah they've been hearing about this bitcoin You know, they see that, you know, they've been saying for the last decade that it's going to fail, it's going to go to zero, and it's been resilient throughout all market Mm -hmm. cycles. And I think they're going to look at it and be like, all right, well, let me throw a small percentage of my portfolio into this ETF. And I think that is the target client that they're going after.
0: Mm. But as
1: far as anyone that's, you know, has a brain and could see the value of holding your own private keys, why would you take that third-party risk? right? Right. Why would I trust? You know this big entity that at the end of the day you're looked at as a number, not an individual, and you have the ability to to custody something and take full responsibility of it. Mm. I, I would hope that that option is more lucrative um, than just throwing money at an ETF.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. You know, one of the, one of the things when I, I'm I'm like, it seems like Bitcoin's gaining momentum, but still, you know. I, when I talk about it with people, sometimes they're, they still confuse altcoins and Bitcoin. They can still kind of roll everything together. Um, so I'm always having to kind of distinguish between Bitcoin and all the other coins. Um, and one of the things, one of the senses I have around increasing adoption, I think when really kind of successful companies start to put it on their balance sheets or nations, more nation states uh, start to put it on their balance sheet. I think, you know, that first wave where you saw MicroStrategy and Tesla and Square who, you know, whose founders are all big Bitcoiners basically say we're holding this on our balance sheet, but I have a feeling that, and I'm hearing some rumors that a company like Apple, you know, Apple had the white paper, on their operating system, on the new operating system, I think they folded it in, and I know Tim Cook is a Bitcoiner, although he's not quite as, uh, you know, he's not a, a big proponent the way Sailor is, say. Right. But I know, I know that he tracks it. They put it on the operating system, and and I think Jason Lowry even hinted at Apple, like when Apple disclosed says that they're going to put. Uh, Bitcoin on the on the balance sheet—that's going to really really start to move things quickly, and I think that's true. That I could see if Apple said, "Hey, we're holding this percentage of our cash, which is an immense amount of cash." If they say, "We're gonna we're gonna hold Bitcoin with with a portion of this," I think you would have other companies following suit. Because right now, I think you know a lot of the you know sailor uh elon musk even jack dorsey i think the rest of the corporations might see him the more traditional orthodox executives might see them as a little bit of wild cards you know these are cowboys they're you know elon's crazy or whatever but i think if you start to see like apple or some of these other large you know uh s&p 100 s&p 50 companies say hey we are sitting on a lot of cash and we want to hold it in Bitcoin. I think that would go a long ways towards people going, wait a minute, maybe take, I want to take another look at this because if Apple's holding it, maybe uh, maybe this isn't so crazy after all.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think from that perspective, I can see Apple using it as strictly an investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we are still at the point where they don't see the use case of it. And mm. the I bring that up is if you think of Noster and Domus, which is an application through Apple Store, Apple banned it.
0: They did. Because yep.
1: you're able to send SAT. So for those mm. who don't know Noster, it's essentially like a, a social media network, just like Twitter. And instead of liking certain tweets you could zap them, which is send sats, right? Send pennies uh, pennies on the dollar worth of Bitcoin to certain messages that you like. And from an investment strategy, I could see Apple and a big corporation investing in the Bitcoin, have it on the balance sheet as a risk assessment. But as a use case, I still think they're behind the ball solely yeah. because they didn't see the effects of banning Domus, which doesn't allow people to use Noster.
0: Right, right, yeah, they did do that, and and uh, people were really critical. Like, why are you doing this? You know, they're showing their true stripes and all that stuff. So, so yeah, we'll see what happens with that. You know, uh, <laughs> central bank digital currencies. I see today uh, they rolled out. I'm not saying this is a central bank digital currency, but the Fed now just got rolled out. I saw it on my news feed today. Chase, Wells, some of the other early adopters of a payment system. Called Fed now. Uh, and so, of course, uh, you know, there's feeds that are like, oh, here we go. Here's the start of central bank digital currencies. I was sitting around my family. Uh, I was down at my mom's. And we were sitting around the table, and the topic of central bank digital currency came up in mixed company. And a friend of the family said, oh, is central bank digital currency, is that Bitcoin? I go, no, nope, that's not Bitcoin. That's not what it is. Uh, and I started to explain what the central bank digital currency would be about and he said well what would be the problem with that what's the problem with them saying that there's requirements for the central bank digital currency even my 16 year old was kind of like are you fucking kidding me you can't (laughs) see you can't see why this is a problem like look at what they can do. They can shut you off. They can make you drive, you know, not drive a gas car. They can say, you know, we're going to confiscate your money if you go buy a firearm. I mean, there's just, they can just infringe so much on your freedom. Um, And he was like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. And so we were kind of like, yeah, but just because you want to go along with every single thing the government tells you to do doesn't mean that we do. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're like, well, I don't have any problem with with 15 minute cities. I don't think people should be. I'm like, well, you're you're like a walking poster child for you know compliance. And that's right. not the way we roll in my family. So um I don't know. I I just wanted to share that story. Oh. And and yeah, and you know you're seeing you're seeing so you have that on one end of the spectrum. And then you're starting to see politicians and governors come out like you had DeSantis in Florida say, there is no way we're doing central bank digital currencies in Florida. We are going to, we're going to snuff that out right away. Uh, And even somebody like Robert Kennedy Jr. uh, has been this kind of truther. He's a Bitcoiner and he says, you know, we're not, we're against central bank digital currencies and we're pro Bitcoin. So you're starting to see the Bitcoin conversation reach the national level and the state level um how do you see that going do you think that's going to create just this almost like these this bifurcation where some states are like we love it and other states are like hell no i mean what what are we heading towards is the fed now a a, a prototype maybe where they can start to get the system in place in these big banks and then you know as soon as there's another quote-unquote crisis they can say hey listen we got to we got to go to this system this is going to work a lot better because you know uh i don't know. you know they'll they'll make up something so anyway
1: it's interesting they it, to follow fed now for your listeners out there if this is your first time hearing about it right they like to basically build a mirage like oh we're going to indict trump but on that same day we're going to release fed now yeah right it's a way to just keep people distracted from a- from actually seeing what's happening in the background and for the story that you told me you know sitting around the table talking about these cbdc's and people that just don't see the issue with that a great analogy i heard it's almost like i have a nephew when i play hide and seek with him he thinks he covers his eyes and stands in the middle of the room thinking he's hiding yeah. right? <laughs> Of not knowing the reality of the situation that you can plainly see. So that's how I compare people that don't understand CBDCs. It's you don't want to wake up to the reality of the situation, right? You just want to do what's the most convenient thing. And they've conditioned your behavior up until this point where you can go to any retail store and pay through Apple Pay. You mm-hmm. can instantly send cash through Venmo. You can click twice on your iPhone and pay for anything. So when they hear a Fed now, they're like, oh well, it's no different than my than my Apple wallet. Right. right? reality you know they they're, they're going to essentially make it so they're going to drive the public to make it seem like FedNow is the only option mm-hmm. and that any any big event that happens that drives you towards FedNow you download the app and then all of a sudden you get airdrop $1200 like oh yeah. this is great this is great and then 6 months later you go to buy a steak at a restaurant or you go to buy a steak at a grocery store and you use the Fed now and they say, you know what, your carbon footprint, you've, re- you've exceeded your limit. Why don't yeah. you go buy a piece of tofu? Yeah. Right? So it's able to dictate certain behavior and your purchasing power is completely lost. And so it's very rewarding and it's very, uh, makes me confident to see governors like Ron DeSantis completely banning CBDCs. Yep. Presidential candidates like Robert, Kennedy, right? Mm-hmm. Him understanding that, you know, this is a way for the government to, cl- to collapse down on our societal behavior through controlling the money. Mm-hmm. And I think Robert F. Kennedy, he's just gaining more popularity because I think in my eyes, and I'm not a very political person, but I am rooted in truth. And I think he is a voice to really reveal what has happened in the last three years. But not only that, be able to point out what's coming ahead. And I think for him to be a a Bitcoiner and for him to understand the value of Bitcoin that it brings on a societal level, I think is great. And I, I, I think it's it it makes people question what is Bitcoin? Why is a presidential candidate talking about it? And why is it different than anything else we've seen? So I think from an adoption phase, if you're going to the you know to the voting booths, you're going to look at each candidate and and really understand what he represents which is naturally going to have you ask the question what is bitcoin
0: yeah that's a great point you know and and he's very pro medical freedom which is you know that's yep. that's a issue that's after my heart as well you know he understands that um yeah i wonder i wonder who he mentored with i wonder who was the first person that was talking to bitcoin about you know to him he's never really given much of a background of you know you know did he just go down the rabbit hole himself did he have a you know uh uh consigliere that 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 talked to him about it or was he briefed by it i, I i'm kind of curious as the backstory i wonder if we'll we'll hear it someday um you know there i saw recently uh i wanted to just talk to you just technical stuff about about wallets so you know we you and i talk about self-custody self-custody is the is just the the one hoop to get over or the one thing to really learn and you can learn it Pretty fast, but there's a million and one hardware wallets. I think that Ledger and Trezor were kind of the two that really jumped out early. They were early ones that everybody bought, um, and I did as well. And but there's also a you know there's there's Cold Card. A lot of people really like Cold Card. Uh, Jade is a new one that people really like. But there's a whole bunch of them. But recently, I saw that Ledger's Ledger got into some hot water, um, partially because they're not all open source. I think they, they created some closed source when it was created, but when they did a, they did a firmware update uh, and it was controversial because it basically said they created a a seed recovery function in the update. And, you know, coders that really understood it said, Hey, this is a big problem. This could get this could get your seed could get uh, uh, uh confiscated um ledger ceo had already said hey don't trust us if if there is a nasty state actor that came after us if the french authorities said we're coming in and we're going to take we're going to take what you got um you you would be vulnerable so um you know don't trust us do do the right thing and you know uh, and so i think the combination of all that had um, some people fleeing ledger. I still use a ledger, not exclusively, but I I, I didn't panic, you know. Um, so I guess I guess I wanted to get your thoughts because uh, there's probably some noise around using a ledger uh, right now. Um, and do you still do you still like it? And and what other wallets, maybe just personally, do you like uh, that you would endorse or say, hey, that's a super solid option for for newbies that maybe have bought Bitcoin but they quite haven't quite got in the self custody game, but they're looking at it right now
1: right and i think ledger got absolutely dragged through the coals rightfully yeah. so but i think their intent was there right how they went about it i would go back to the drawing board and yep. how they should market that update but i think in the end you know being that their ceo is a big corner and rooted in transparency you know mm-hmm. i think his intention was like hey you know this upgrade Yes, it allows you to recover your seed phrases and we'll we'll separate in the the hash shards and we'll Mm. secure it. But at the end of the day, right, that is a vulnerability. That is Mm. what we call a single point of failure, where Mm. if they were to get hacked, then your private keys are at risk. And I commend him for at least coming public and, and saying that this is a possibility and it could be a detriment to his company. I think if we look at the spectrum of hardware devices, right, obviously Ledger is your first to the market, but in terms of usability, it's kind of clunky, right? You got to hit two buttons at the same time. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the interface is slow. You have Trezor, which is right behind them. From a usability standpoint, I think they're very um, user-friendly. I think their API is great. But if I personally were to buy a hardware device, I would use a cold card. Yeah. Uh, mainly because you're, it's air-gapped and you're able to keep your private keys completely separated from the computer. What do I mean by that? Is any information you're sending from the cold card to your computer to sign a transaction, you're using a micro SD card to transfer from the device to your computer. So at no point in time is it fully connected to the internet which allows for those vulnerabilities of hacking. Mm. So from a self-custody single signature standpoint, I would highly recommend the cold card. Now, with that being said, it does have a little more technical steps, right? Using that micro SD card, making sure if you're in a multi-sig setup that you have the wallet configuration file. But there's plenty of resources out there, right? We're we're in the technological era. You can go on any YouTube page. You can find any self-help tutorials to help you set that up. Yeah. So I would advise any listener out there that's thinking about hardware devices, I would recommend the cold card. And then, but they
0: do not have, one of the ways they're different, I think, and I might be wrong on this. I I took a couple laps around the track on this stuff a while back, but they don't have like a native software the way that Ledger and Trezor do, right? You have that you don't open up a, a desktop with Cold Card necessarily, right? Exactly
1: right. So you're just interacting directly with the device.
0: Okay, I see. And, That's and
1: it's, it's an idea of air gaps. So you're not going to have to download some sort of software on your computer that connects and communicates with the device, you're able to directly interact on the device and they transfer any information needed from the device to your computer.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right, any other resources? You know, people, what do you recommend for resources? I'm going to plug Unchained. I'm a very happy customer of Unchained. Uh, I'll talk about that in my outro, but I just wanted to like, do you have any, like if if somebody starts asking you questions uh, and you're in a bar and you're getting ready to leave and and they said, hey, can you jot down a couple of places where I might find a series of, you know, um, I sometimes think like breed loves what is money. It's pretty geeky. Uh, it, you know, I'm thinking like, what if my uncle wanted to like start to get, you know you know or was at the beginning and so it's like where can i find more information and it explained in a really good way yeah. uh what what would be some good maybe intro or a good podcast or you know i'll include a couple that you don't mention as well but i just wanted to get your input like when you where do you send newbies basically
1: yeah so there's um an institute called satoshi nakamoto institute mm-hmm. and for those of you who don't know, but one of the OG Bitcoiners, Bitstein, created this. And it has a bunch of literature and research. It's uh, Mm NakamotoInstitute.org. And for beginners, it'll break it down from a protocol level, from a financial level, from a humanitarian level. It it breaks down every aspect of Bitcoin in a clean and concise way. Mm -hmm. I, for, you know, any Anybody that has a financial background, I highly recommend Parker Lewis's Gradually Then Suddenly Essay Series. Mm. He'll actually be releasing a book soon. Um, of, you know, the majority of clients that come through Unchained have found and heard about Unchained, but more importantly, got orange-pilled in the Bitcoin through the Gradually Then Suddenly Series. And then if you're looking for everyday information, I would recommend Marty Bent's newsletter. If you mm-hmm. go to tftc.io, He has a daily newsletter that he he recaps what's going on in the market and any updates or um, convergence happening in the Bitcoin space, he'll write out in a quick four or five paragraph newsletter. And then there's also Jimmy Song, who's a Bitcoin editor, developer, entrepreneur, um, who I think, specifically in Texas, has really pushed the momentum on a state level, making sure that the governors, the senators- and the state of Texas really understand what Bitcoin is. And you can find that at song.medium.com And then lastly, if you're thinking of a podcast, uh, I would look into Guy Swan. I think he basically does the work for you. Any literature that comes out, any articles, any groundbreaking updates to Bitcoin, he'll actually go through and read the material and then hop on a podcast and describe his thoughts on it and the the, the general consensus of what that article is. And so what I'm driving in the work, I'll throw on Guy Swan just to get updates or, you know, have any responses to um, new news that's coming out. And I think he has a great take on that.
0: That's great. That keeps you on the heartbeat, the signal, right? And uh, I love it. Great recommendations. Connor is so great to have you on the show again. Uh, Let's keep in touch and have you back again as this continues to evolve. Uh, Super grateful to have you on today.
1: Absolutely, Tony. It's an honor to be here and looking forward to any conversations in the future.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Love doing episodes with Connor. Great recommendations all the way around from him. I've added some of those into my rotation and two others. A podcast I absolutely love is Blue Collar Bitcoin, which is Josh and Dan, two firemen who are also Bitcoiners, and I just love their level of engagement and the topics on that show. I find myself clicking on it quite a bit when I'm in the car. And last but certainly not least is Unchained, the Bitcoin company that Connor represents. They are a great place to create your future in Bitcoin. I'm a happy customer and a big fan of the multi-sig collaborative custody approach that they have. And they also have all sorts of emerging products from IRAs to Roths to inheritance protocols for securing your Bitcoin across generations. If you want to connect with Connor over at Unchained, he is at cdent at unchained.com. Thank you, Base Campers, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors, and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.